Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Now before we get started, just want to remind you to subscribe and share so that you receive a notification every other Tuesday night when new episodes are released. Now, into today's episode, we're in the sixth inning with head baseball coach and athletic director at Kimberly High School, Ryan McGinnis. Now, Coach McGinnis is a national figure. You know, when people think about baseball, high school baseball in the state of Wisconsin, he's one of the first names that comes up. Most notably, he spoke at the ABCA main stage a few years back. Um, he's on Top Coach Podcast, ABCA, Stick and Ball, former president of our association, uh, and he spoke at our clinic a few times as well. So, really grateful for his time um, as he unpacks his playing career, his coaching career, um, his role as an athletic director, and some of the lessons learned from other coaches within his building, um, the ins and outs of his program that's led them to a tremendous amount of success. Again, the numbers speak for themselves. We're talking about a, you know, a ridiculous winning percentage, 345 wins, uh, multiple trips to the state tournament, you know, um, two state championships, and playing in one of the most um, successful conferences in the state of Wisconsin. So without further ado, head baseball coach at Kimberly High School, Ryan McGinnis. Hey coach, how are you doing today? Doing great, thanks Tim. Outstanding. Well, hey, let's start off with just um, just your background in baseball. Uh, you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you play? If you just talk us through that, please. Sure. I uh, grew up in Appleton, uh, which is just right here in the Fox Valley by Kimberly. Played at Appleton West um, High School, which, you know, great. Appleton's a great city to grow up in. Minor league team. Um, was a bat boy for the Appleton Foxes, which was an A-ball team for the White Sox. Um, so I was a bat boy there ever since I was four. Um, until I was about 11 and then I got out of it for a year or two as my older brother was, was playing Legion. And then I got back into it when I was about 13 or 14 and until I went to college. So around minor league baseball, darn near every day, you know, growing up. And, and that was, that was special, great little league program in Appleton and great coaches. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, great high school coaches, Bruce Erickson was my high school coach. The JV coach at that time was Gary Lemons who took over when Bruce went over to Appleton North. Um, Phil Jansen helped one year when he was working on it. He got out of minor league umpiring and he coached at St. Mary's Catholic and retired a couple of years ago, but won a state championship, um, with St. Mary's Catholic, but he, he was minor league umpire and had just finished his career there. So he came in at the right time. I was a freshman in high school and he was just an awesome influence. Um, and then, so I played at Appleton West, Appleton Legion, post 38, Don Hawkins and Dave Emmers. And, uh, we won a couple state championships there won a state championship at Appleton West um, my freshman year and my senior year um, and then went to and I was I was just a very average player on great teams I played first base and I went to St. Xavier University which is in Chicago um, and uh, I ended up there kind of a funny story just you know my brother played with a guy who ended up transferring and going there and and uh, my brother played down in Florida my oldest brother was a left-handed pitcher so I was going to head down to North Florida and, and play at North Florida and uh, walk on there and just, you know, I had a spot on the team, but I, I think I would have been knee deep in trying to get on the field. And St. X was right in that same level, but more of a Northern team at that time. So I ended up there and, and uh, couldn't have been a better fit for me. Uh, so played for Coach Maury, John Maury, uh, who was a Gordy Gillespie disciple. 
played for Gordy at Lewis and, and then Gordy started the program at St. Francis and, and Coach Morey took over a young program at St. Xavier where I went. And, uh, but then Coach Morey left after my freshman year and he was the guy that I knew uh, believed in me and would give me opportunity. And our pitching coach took over. Um, coach Morey went to Xavier in Cincinnati. Uh, our pitching coach took over and he wanted big power hitting first baseman. So, you know, I thought for a while of maybe leaving, but I stayed there and ended up doing pretty well. You know, I was a two, two year captain and, um, you know, did a good job. So I uh, was part of some really good teams and, and great teammates. And, and then I went to Xavier and coached with Coach Morey. Uh, when I graduated, he had talked to me my freshman year about uh, potentially coaching at some point. He saw how good of a player I was that I, he, he, he didn't know that uh, I thought I was going to be a first or second round pick. But so I went and coached with him for four years. And, and um, we can talk maybe about that a little later, but that was a phenomenal experience. And then moved back up to Wisconsin. My wife um, and I, you know, met in high school and dated. She went to Marquette, played basketball at Marquette, and and uh, she is the athlete in the family, no doubt. Uh, she was a, just an awesome man, three sport athlete, and and uh, we maybe we can get some stories about her. Man, I got way better stories about her than me, but she could well, play. I, so, what's that? I'd love to know. Last time you guys played one on one, and how that went down. I got my butt kicked. That's how it went down. Um, like our, our third date or so was in the spring. This is when we're in high school and she's got sandals on and we go over to, to one of her friend's houses and we're playing a game of pig while we're waiting for her friend and to get ready. And, and we're in the driveway and I'm kind of just not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to compete too hard at this point and, and kick her butt. And before I knew it, I was beat. <laughs> I was like, what? I just got my butt kicked. Was, that was embarrassing. But yeah, she's, She's a player. So uh, uh, we moved back up here. She went to Oshkosh North. So we ended up uh, the chair. Of, I taught English. And so I was a part-time coach at Xavier in Cincinnati. And I was teaching high school English at a, at a local high school. And the chair of the English department at Oshkosh North is Jim White. And he had coached the Legion program at Oshkosh forever. I mean, when I was a bat boy as a little boy, when my older brother was playing, his teams were really good in Oshkosh. And he was a competitive coach and always had a big chew in and he was the chair of the English department. Lori was a great student athlete there. She's a valedictorian and, and just a top shelf girl, you know, just, uh, I mean, when we dated in high school I and mean, one of the things, you know, we never drank, we never went into any parties or anything like that. It was, it was just, she had a real common interest in me and real focused. And, and so, uh, he called, um, or he had ran into her mom in a grocery store and said, Hey, we have an English opening. So her mom called me in Cincinnati and, and, I came back. We were looking to come back because we were looking to start a family and we love Cincinnati, but we wanted to be a little closer to family. And so um, got a job at Oshkosh North, volunteer coach there my first year. And then I was the head coach for five years. Um, the head coach resigned after that year. It was, I wanted to coach with Bruce Erickson. So my plan, Appleton North had an opening too, but they needed a speech certification. I didn't have it. They initially were going to let me teach without it, but then they didn't. I ended up getting, so I thought I was going to get two offers, Appleton North and Oshkosh North. I got the Oshkosh North offer for teaching, and then I was going to just drive 20 minutes and coach with Coach Erickson. You know, then I'd have coached with my college coach and my high school coach. Awesome. Those were two of my goals. Yeah, that would have been cool. And then they were, you know, they were one or two in the state every year at that time at Appleton North and Oshkosh North hadn't won a game in like two or three years or something. So as I'm there, Oshkosh North just had some awesome kids. And I thought, man, and the head coach reached out to me and, to see if I wanted to help. And I thought, you know, I'm going to stay here and, and try to help here. And 
Um, that was a long, long year for sure because that program was in disarray and it wasn't anything like I was used to, you know, organizationally or structurally or, or anything. So it was a great year in hindsight, but it was a really a trying year. And if I'd have had no coaching experience, I don't think I ever would have coached again. Um, if you don't, if I, I wouldn't mind pausing right there. So just hearing about your playing career. So you played at a high level at high school, played at a high level in college. I mean, and I say high level, like winning programs. The expectation was winning conferences, competing for, you know, state championships, national championships. You get into your coaching career, you're at, you know, a, a great D1 program at Xavier, and then you come back and you're at a winless school, you know, and so how did you go about that? I mean, what was, what were those conversations like? What was, what was the state of the program and how did you guys start implementing change? Well, yeah, that's a good question. The, the first year that I coached, I was a volunteer. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was not pretty at all. It was uh, the, the expectation, the head coach was a really good guy, but the expectations were just very inconsistent. Um, the follow through was sketchy on, on what was expected of different, you know, you kind of came to practice when you wanted to. If you wanted to miss a practice, you just missed it. You didn't have to tell anybody it was, so I wanted to get out, but I didn't want to quit. I had made a commitment, and so I stayed with it. And, um, yeah, long story short, it just wasn't a good thing. And, and uh, I think the head coach wanted what was best but was afraid to maybe put in some discipline. And so he, he had just kind of had enough. He had been there three or four years and hadn't won much. And um, there was another coach on there that was kind of backstabbing him and, and uh, maybe wanted – I don't know if he wanted the job or whatever. But, um yeah, so the, the following year, he so he resigned that summer, and I wasn't even going to apply for the job. I was going to go help Coach Erickson. Uh, but, again, I loved my teaching job. It was a great school as far as culture, a lot of diversity, um, you know, great. I thought some great opportunity, but just maybe too much to do. And, and, uh, and I didn't build any huge relationships because nobody – not many guys or a few guys on that team that really enjoyed work in baseball, but most of them were just there to kind of screw off and say they played a high school sport. And so that didn't rub well, you know, it wasn't the losing. It was just how we lost and it didn't matter to most guys. The behavior was poor. Nobody was held accountable. And I just felt, I felt guilty by association, you know, that this is not anything I want to be a part of. So I wasn't going to apply. Craig leader was brought in as the athletic director who had played at Oshkosh. And, and uh, so I had known him a little bit. Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm, I might. And, and Jim White was the chair of the English department who was a baseball guy, and he had hired me as the English teacher. So I talked to him a little bit, and he was just he, – he just meant so much to me. You know, he's a real quiet influence and, and uh, just very solid, didn't get swayed by, you know, popular opinion and all that other stuff. So I did apply for it, and I ended up getting it. And uh, to the chagrin of some returning players and parents and the, the coach who was kind of undermining the other coach wanted the job and didn't get it. So he kind of undermined or tried to undermine me and yet to my face was saying that he was so happy for me. So it's a complex story. We don't need to get into a ton of detail, but the learning curve was huge for me, for sure. So the following year more is kind of to your question of the following year, it was a matter of, I, you know, Craig leader definitely had, had my back. And one of the assistant principals, Dennis Remington, had coached high school baseball for a number of years, and then we had a new principal. So Craig was a new AD, and there was a new principal. So it was kind of ripe for people to complain. And, you know, so a few parents went after me um, just because we had discipline. I mean, you know, we were going to do things a certain way. So the following year, a lot of that previous regime wasn't back. And we started with and, – and so I went – we literally had one freshman 
um, incoming freshmen, one freshman that had played baseball before, and then I recruited 14 others. So we had 15 freshmen to have a freshman team. The JV team um, had some, uh, some decent sophomores. So we brought up a few sophomores and then we just, we went with some of the guys who really wanted to work, but some of the guys who got most of the playing time, we just didn't have back. And, uh, and we went six and 14. We won our first four games, um, you know, and then later in the, we played some really competitive games. We lost, we got blown out a few times. Uh, and then late in the year, we beat Fond du Lac in 10 innings. And, and um, you know, Fondy was really good at that time. They had Travis Diener and just a bunch of guys, you know, a linebacker, McKenzie, I think his name was. It was just a courtesy runner. He was just a stud athlete, you know. And, and our guys started to believe and just, but I was so proud of that team. So your question, I think, is getting at here. I, you know, I pretty much won. I won a city championship in T-League. We played at Goodland Field, the minor league field. You know, nine-year-old, we, 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 we won the league and we took second in the city. You know, 13, 14, 15, we won all the, the state tournaments. That You know, that's when it was kind of the, the community state tournaments. And high school, we won all the time. And college, we won. And if you'd have told me you went 6 and 14 your first year as the head coach and you were really super proud and close with that team, I'd have been like, ugh, that would have been hard. It was still one of the best years that I've ever been a part of. Um, from a standpoint of guys buying in, believing in each other, maximizing what they had day in and day out, um, never giving up. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. Uh, and then each year we got a little bit better. And then the, the fifth year I was there with my last year, 05, we won the conference championship. And uh, that was pretty cool too. Uh, that was special because we had some come from behind wins. Um, you know, we were down nine, nothing against Oshkosh West in a night game and came back and won. Um, you know, we were playing the infield in in the third inning to avoid a 10-run rule and uh, came back and won that game. And those are just, just special things that that we did. So that was, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, you know, the, the nutshell of, I think, the answer to that question, a long, long-winded answer was, <laughs> it really is truly about the process. You know, I think you see Kimberly baseball now, and, you know, we've been fortunate and won the, the past, many, you know, several years. Um, but I've, I've been on the other end. And I think that I can say as a player, I thank God every day that I wasn't such a blessed player. I was blessed in that I was always around. I was in a family that was a baseball family. I was blessed in a city where there was a minor league team. Um, I was blessed with parents who always let me be at the field, you know, and, uh, and a dad who always played with me or hit, you know, hit a ball or threw BP and brothers that, that we could play with all the time. But as far as my skill set, it was, it was very average. And uh, so I, you know, I've been a starter on really good teams. I've hit, I've, I haven't played, you know, my freshman year, I played in like 18 games. We played 70. Um, that's a lot of games to sit, man, in nine inning games. And, uh, um, you know, in high school, I sat. In high school, I got DH four. Um, as a sophomore, I got brought up to the varsity and got, got DH four. I got DH most of my junior year four. Um, and then had a really good, you know, played good defense, had a really good senior. And so a, a coach that, that I was really blessed to have that he understood the value of defense and, or that he valued defense and understood that. Cause in a lot of teams, I was just a scrawny little, you know, average athlete. I'd have been, there were so many better athletes than me. You know, I was the fifth string first baseman as a freshman in high school on the, on the JV team. And the four guys ahead of me all played division one sports, um, three in baseball and one in football. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good thing. So knowing how to sit on the bench and knowing how that feels, um, 
knowing how to be a coach of a losing team when you're getting 10 run and not blaming it on the other team running the score up, but we just need to get better. I don't want teams to stop playing. Um, that's a bigger insult than anything when you stop playing against a team I'm coaching. And, you know, we're going to certainly not do some things if we're winning by 10, but man, it's a, I've seen crazy, you know, we lost a game nine. We were up nine, nothing Appleton North the year in 07. We won the state championship. The last game of the conference season, if we win, we win a conference championship for the first one in 20 years at Kimberly, which is a big deal. And it was a big deal to our kids, big deal as part of our vision in our program. Um, it's not the end all be all, but it's a big deal. We're up nine, nothing. And, and we didn't stop playing. We got beat and all the stuff that you think could happen happened. And you just can never stop playing this game because there's not a clock. And so um, when I, I just don't like the, should Tatis Jr. have swung at a pitch when it's 3-0 and whatever. These guys are big league players, man, getting paid. You know, you better play. So I'm off my soapbox now. Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> no, it's funny. I, uh, 2014, actually, our last year when I was at CMH, summer baseball, us and Arrowhead are running for a you know, conference championship. We're all making the switch to spring the next year. You know, one more good summer in the sun. And I, we were up at Moraine, 9 nothing. You know, we're, they're, they're emptying their bench to get, you know, trying to save arms, you know, already chalking up a run rule and sure enough we lost 10-9 we lost a conference championship by one game and they, they haven't won one since 97 and man that was uh was, as you're telling that story I'm having flashbacks right now absolutely but um back to you though you, you yeah. mentioned you know you got to be an English teacher and now you're an athletic director so how does your role as an AD help you as a baseball coach um yeah, it helps a ton. I, I, the first way it helps, I think probably the, the most obvious way maybe is just being able to see other coaches coach. It makes you a better coach. You know, it makes you more reflective. It makes you more aware of what you're doing. It makes you ma more aware of the um, just the different styles and the why behind why we do what we do. And the you know, the other part that really of that that makes you a better coach is you, you, you become a better, you know, I've said for a long time now, um, you, I, when I was after my first year, during my first year of teaching, I thought, you know, I need to learn how to ask better questions. Um, and that took me a while to learn that. So I did some reading and studying on it, and I talked to some, some lawyers who go to school for that. Um, you know, and this is, this is, I'm getting old now, you know, this is in the late nineties. And so it's not when, you know, there weren't so many books, there weren't all these podcasts and stuff. And so I started to get better at asking questions, but I wasn't always better at listening to the answers or following up with the appropriate question. Um, so as an AD, it, it's continued to remind me to make sure you're asking the questions and listening and that you're not just asking questions to get the answer you want. Um, you have to get, you have to give your coaches time and, and, uh, and the, I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt, but the ability to explain why they do what they do, because it doesn't always hit me as being the best way. And I want to hear why they thought it was the best way. And, and sometimes, you know, they don't always know. And then, then I say, you got to know, you got to be intentional in everything we do. Um, we don't have a ton of time with our student athletes. We get four years with them. Um, and so we have to be intentional in everything we do. And we have to try to build a relationship with every single one of them, knowing darn well that they're not all going to love us. We hope they do. Uh, we work so that they do, but that's not always going to be the case, especially when you're the head coach and you have to make tough decisions. The kids, you know, have to choose how they want to handle it. But we have a choice to, to be 
transformational or transactional. And, and, you know, I would like to think that I'm hopefully transformational, you know, and, and not transactional at all. But um, that, that's how it makes me the best. You know, the other way it makes me the best, I've always appreciated my athletic directors and I've always had great ones, the great athletic director at Xavier University when I was there um, that cared about a graduate student and a part-time coach, um, a great athletic director in, in Craig Leader. Uh, a great athletic director when I got to Kimberly and Brian Motts, but I, I never had any clue of all the dynamics that go into being an athletic director and the integrity you need to have a, to be a, a quality one. Um, and, and I guess that sounds maybe like a, a compliment to myself, but I, I do believe that I'm a high integrity because I'm going to, I'm not going to tell you something different than what I would do or different than what I know. Um, and when you get the political spin on everything, the, the drawback to being the AD is I always appreciated those guys and tried to, tried to ask as little of them as I possibly could other than their support on some non-negotiable issues. Uh, and now that I've been one, I'm thinking, man, it's going to be hard if I'm ever not an AD to trust, you know, you need to be able to trust that athletic director. And if you can't, I would say get out of that school. Um, because it's not, it's not going to be a place of success if you can't trust the AD. No. Well, I, I, you, have, you guys have had so much success as an athletic department. And you, you mentioned it, how much you've learned from the coaches, the other coaches, your colleagues. Let's highlight one of those guys, one of those guys or gals. Give me something from a program inside of Kimberly that you've learned that made you rethink something. You watch, you watch um, her do it, and you're like, "Wow, that 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 makes a lot of sense to me." Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I think, uh, I think, you know, the I can go through a few things. So I'll just try to do some quick hitter ones here off the top of my head. That's a good question. The attention to detail our cross country coach has um, in individualizing plans for groups of runners. Um, so he'll have six different plans every day for different groups of runners and to see that evolve over the years, both the consistency in which he's at that uh, and the time he puts into those plans, as well as um, the improvement he's made in delegating to his staff because um, he's the head coach of both the boys and the girls and he's a great, great coach and, and a diehard cross country guy. Um, and he, and he, he, when he does things, he does them, he does them extremely well. And so for him to delegate has been hard, but he's built a staff that has allowed him to do that. A great staff. Um, you know, I, I think along with that, you know, our football staff who's had a ton of success, both, um, you know, on the field and off and, and just their attention to detail as well, um, in their game planning and their, and their, uh, you know, our attention to detail in the weight room, um, I think our basketball coaches and, and how they vary their practices and, and Lucky Wirtz, who's a veteran coach, how he's continued to learn and grow. Um, we have a great relationship, but, and he's always looking to learn. Um, and, and, you know, an evident of that, he, John Milkey was a longtime coach at Apple and East, a Hall of Fame type coach, and Lucky is as well. Uh, and he brought Milks on staff, and that was neat to see. And, and I was, you know, I'm obviously a part of obviously hiring our staff. And so that's my job. That's the most important part of my job is getting great coaches because that's, uh, you know, the most direct influence on our kids. And so bringing him on, I mean, I had a certain thing in mind that certain things need to be met because that's a tough deal. 
when you got those are two pretty pretty big personalities, both Lucky and John Milky. Anyone who has seen those two coach a basketball game, they both are big personalities, and it has worked awesome. But they both have huge hearts for kids. So I knew it would work if certain things were in place, and uh, it has been a blessing for sure. Um, our soccer coaches, you know, again, their ability to let kids figure things out and play the game has been awesome. Um, where they're not micromanaging everything. They, they coach the heck out of them in practice, and then they let them solve the, the puzzle in the game. And, and so that's been neat. And, and I could go on and on. I'll, I'll stop there. But oh, that's, that's, And that's the stuff. I mean, I think there's so much value in that. I, just in your role and as you, you, know, you talk about being a listener and an observer, there's so much else out there that I think just either solidifies what we're already doing or challenges something that we're currently doing. So thanks for opening that up. Now, the guys that you played for, you know, kind of your Mount Rushmore of coaches. Like, um, yeah, I want to hear who they are, but I want to hear what you learned from those guys, either when you're coaching with them or when you played for them. Yeah, that's a good, that's, that's a good one. Cause yeah, my Mount I'll start with, you know, that question I've been asked, you know, quite a few times. And I, I kind of look at it like the, I'm a little different. I'm wired a little differently as you probably know, Tim. <laughs> um, I look at that as, there are guys who've co- who I've played for and, and have a real deep personal relationship with, and they obviously have the largest influence for the most part, you know. And then there are the coaches that I've had limited interaction with. So I look at it, those, the guys that I played for, they're the Mount Rushmores. You know, my dad, uh, my oldest brother who, who played college baseball ahead of me and, and would send me, you know, was in Florida and would send me note pages of when I was in seventh grade, send me detailed notes. He was a pitcher, but they would have meetings on hitting and hitters and attacking hitters. And um, this is when it was hard to come by. Books were hard to come by. I mean, there was a Ted Williams science of hitting book. Uh, Charlie Lau had just, you know, was just coming out with his first book and, and, you know, maybe a couple others, but, and, and I had some of those at home because my dad was a coach, but there was not much else. And so my brother would send me these pages of notes on hitting of, you know, your foot's got to land before you swing. And when you stride, your hands move back. And those were all new concepts to the point where some of them, I was like, no way. And so I was kind of robotic in doing that. And then, you know, you figure it out. And that's the feel part of of being able to play and everything. So a lot has, you know, my brother has had a big influence, my oldest brother in in feeding me that information. Um, You know, in high school, I remember him watching, you know, VCR tapes of of pitchers and hitters. You know, he's watching Oral Hershiser in in 88. And we would sit in and Brad watch him take notes and we'd break the wind up down. And one thing was happening, how we, you know, I'd chart pitches on the freaking TV, you know, what Hershiser was was throwing. And and so um, those conversations helped me not only at the time, but it helped me process how to figure this stuff out and not always have a coach or a one-on-one hitting lesson or something like that. And so that's been a lot of what, how I've tried to design my coaching style is you have to give kids info and then you got to let them play. You know, we say in the sandbox, man, you got to get in the sandbox and you got to play and you got to figure it out. And then there's times when you got to come back to the drawing board and say, what's the deal. And you know, whether you want to call it Tim Corbin and call it the lab to the field or whatever you want to call it, man, there's got to be a, a time to learn, but then you got to let them go. And, and the game's meant to be played and not micromanaged by some old fogey coach who, who thinks he's got all the answers, you know? So, um, so the Mount Rushmore mountain, you know, those would be coaches I played for on the way up to that mountain. 
you, you got little landmarks and those are coaches that I've run into that maybe spend some time with, you know, a Gordy Gillespie who was gracious enough to spend, you know, 30 hours with me over the years, you know, as, as, um, as I got into coaching in his living room or on the phone or, or sending me, you know, a packet of his proofread his book or, you know, those two where he was generous enough to, to give of that. And then when you pull up to the mountain and park, you get out and there's the little posts there that have little statues of, of more. And those are people I've never met, but the John Scalinas of the world, or I met them, but I met them one time at a clinic, you know, the John Scalinas is the, the Ken Ravises, um, you know, those guys. And so starting with, with, you know, I'll start with the obvious, my, my dad, you know, no question. The biggest thing he did, he was a high school coach, but it was just flat out discipline, you know, just, just shut up and play, man. And, uh, don't don't be a showboat and you don't ever say anything to the umpire and just play and do whatever it is that it takes to help your team win and, and if you're not playing find out something to do to help your team and I don't want to hear any whining and I love you and we'll go hit more if you want to hit more but there's no time for whining and why you're not playing get better and then you know my brother as I mentioned just feed me information and, and always kind of be in there as a, as a role model um, the uh, my my high school coach coach Erickson you know, biggest thing with that program of why that was great was just repetition, having great drills, um, having, having a, a, a system in place where older guys influence the younger guys uh, in a positive way, and, and just never preparing differently. It was always about being the best we could be. It was never about, they didn't care who we were playing. It was, let's, let's do what we do and, and let's go play and, and uh, be fundamentally sound. That's where the repetitions came in. Uh, have fun with it have a little swagger. You know, he had a little swagger to him for sure. Um, he knew when to smile. He knew when to kind of rib you and, and he could get on you, no question. But, uh, you know, as a sophomore, my first game up with the varsity, I had a pretty big air. You know, I made a good play in the, in to my glove side. I was left-handed first baseman. So I ranged over, turned around, fed the pitcher and, and threw it away. Um, and we got out of the inning so one run scored on that. That would have been the third out, but a run a guy was on second. So he scored and we were up two to one and I came in the dugout and, and he came over and he didn't say anything right away, but I went and sat down and was kind of down on myself. And, and he was just about to run out to third base and he just, you know, gave me a call and looked and gave me a little smirk and said, Hey, you'll be fine. And just little things like that. He knew what to do and knew how to do it. He was a, kind of a psychologist that way too. Um, Coach Lemons, you know, detail again, just practice organization and, and, um, having fun with it, but also being intense. Coach Maury, my high, uh, my college coach, um, playing for him, just just really really high expectations. Coaching with him, um, game management galore. You know, he knew the game. He knew how to manage the game. Um, every single second, he knew he was he was twelve pitches ahead. And so to stand by him and figure that out for four years, and and have him slowly release. Um, you know, responsibility to me as a, as an assistant coach was pretty cool. You know, I, I mean, it started as I had the outfielders and then not short after that, I had the first baseman and then I had the base runners. And then by my second halfway into my second year, I had the hitters, which was a huge thing for him to give up hitters, man. And, uh, and then the third year, you know, he pretty much let me do the infield defense and, and outfield defense. And so he, he allowed me to do a lot. Um, yeah. So those would be, those would be the, the big ones. You know, Phil Jansen, as I mentioned, he was a guy that I said came at the right time. He just loved the game and playing pepper. And, and he was a guy that 
gave me confidence when I was a fifth string first baseman on the freshman team. And so uh, it just, you know, I have a strong faith and I think people are put in positions at different times for, for different reasons. And, um, you know, I've been so blessed with people in my life to kind of nudge me and guide me and, and uh, you know, keep me on a path that, that I'm doing what I am today because of, of all of their influences, you know, the, to, to go through the, the different travels that I've done. All of that comes into, you know, your career, right? All that you've done. So, you know, you head over to what Kimberly's your first year's 06, your first season is 06, correct? Um, yep, that's right. Okay, so state championship 07, nine state tournament runs, eight conference championships. I mean, like, give us the scope. Like, how does it happen? Let's just start at the lowest level. Start at maybe the youth. What's the youth situation look like within your community? What's youth baseball scene? Yeah, well, it happens, you know, as we all know, it happens with good, really good players. I mean, and that's not, that's not a humble statement. That's the reality. The second step to that, really good players that believe in each other and believe in what you're doing together. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things I was really proud of at, at Oshkosh North that we were able to do, and, and I have, you know, one of our coaches on our staff right now played for me at Oshkosh North, Brad Demean. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and there were some, you know, just some, some special guys. We have a guy who's, um, on our grounds depart or our, our maintenance and grounds staff. He's in charge of the fields and, and everything at Kimberly. He played for me at Oshkosh North as well. Um, we started when I started there again, they hadn't won in a while. The culture was horrendous. Um, there were no expectations and, and I'm not trying to say this, like I came in and just turned this whole thing around. That's not how it worked, but what I did do is I came in and, and my biggest thing and a question I get asked a lot, Tim, is like, what are you still trying to accomplish? And that, that's a fair question for sure. And for all of us, but, I, but a lot of times people ask me in a sense of, you know, so that's a, when you know, you're getting old because <laughs> they didn't ask or, me that when or, I was, when I was you've done a, heck of a lot of winning. I mean, I'll take the, <laughs> you've won everything you could win. And they're asking what else is out there. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And so, you know, to me, it really, it's never been about that at all. It, it, and I think times are a little different now where there's, there's pressure on people and people want to see people fired and, you know, all this crazy stuff. What I want when guys graduate, first of all, what I want for our guys when they're playing for me is what I had. Coaches that really cared. That, that I was an average to below average player. If I would have played, now, if I'd have, now we got to hear me out on all this because my goal is not to have guys play college baseball. That is not my goal. Um, but for me, that was my goal as a player. And I didn't, I didn't think anything different. I thought I for sure will play college baseball. I had really good confidence, even though I was an average player because I was not worked and I wasn't afraid of anybody. Um, I just wanted opportunity. And that, I know that's not given. Um, you don't always get it. So, you can't just say, well, I didn't get opportunity. Well, there are a lot of people in this world that haven't gotten opportunity. And so, but when it's, when it's presented, I'm going to be darn ready. I know that. And um, so I just want to do that for any player that I coach because it made the difference for me. If I'd have been part of an average program, I wouldn't have played at St. Xavier. It was beyond my ability set for sure. Um, and, and that's the facts. People can say, no, he's, uh, he was really a good player. I was a good player. St. Xavier was a great NAIA program. They're in the top five programs in the country. 
Um, and not only them, I was calling San Diego State and North Florida. I mean, North Florida was, again, they're, they're Division One now. They were NAI at that time. And they were one of the top programs in the country. You know, so that's where my sights were set. I wanted to go somewhere where we are going to win and I was going to be coached. And so that's my deal. It's, it's that as a coach, that's what drives me and trying to get guys to believe in one another every second that they're together as a team. And that job starts over every year. And so when the season ends, it's always so difficult because there's so much that goes into that year and those guys and building those relationships and helping nurture the relationships with the guys in the program. Um, that's what drives me. And so, um, like, that, so what I'm, let me just cut you off for a second. What, what I'm gathering right now is like, you're a bit, you're a systems thinker. Everything is systematic, right? Process systems. You said these things a few times, a fantastic way to look at things. So, and I don't know if you can quantify this or if it's tangible or not, but how do you systematically create that within your program so that the varsity team can, can play at a certain level? That's a loaded question, but take it wherever you want. Yeah, I think it's a, that's a great question. And, and I think it is, whether we're going to win or not, and we say this in our guys, I don't know if we're going to win or not, but we're going to be champions. And that's why we say champions playbook and we're going to have championship reps. It's not to be cliche or to have some little, you know, fancy little phrase, but we can control being a champion. We can't control winning a championship because there's a lot out of our control. And we've been on, you know, if you coach long enough, you and I have been on both ends of those of that coin. And, and it hurts like heck when you're on the one end, but when you win, you got to also remember there were a ton of things that were out of your control that, and again, I have a strong faith. I think God's got a plan. Um, and you know, you do everything in your power to give your team the best chance, whether you're the backup for the fifth string, first baseman, the, the assistant coach. Um, so what we try to do is say this. And, and again, I'm not perfect at this. So there's lots of mistakes I have made, no question. Um, but the standard has to be for everyone. There are no star treatment guys that are above the standard. Um, the, the standards for everybody. And this game is meant to be played. And you can't play afraid. And so the best thing in hindsight that happened to us, I don't believe we would have won the state championship without it, is if we – win the game at Oshkosh North in 2007, I don't think we win the state championship because we were, you have to be convicted as a head coach and you have to sell that to your players and they have to buy in. And if your players don't buy in, you have no chance. Yet when you're going about it, you can't, you have to know in your gut. And this is where the experience comes in. I think guys are sometimes are too in a hurry to be a head coach instead of being an assistant and really figuring out who they are and learning from, from people that, that they respect and that they know, kind of know the deal. You still got to be your own guy, but you have to be convicted that we're not budging in these areas. And you got to get an administration that supports you in that. Um, but we can't budge in those areas. And so if, if we would have won that game, because that whole year, we were pretty good in 07, but we didn't play loose all the time. We played on our heels sometimes, and that came to fruition in that nine nothing game. We start playing, oh, start playing not to lose, and so by losing that, it, it was a good lesson 
some lessons just need to be learned, man. They can't be, I think we did everything we could as coaches to try to get them to see that we had intentional things in our practice. But at the end of the day, when we hit the tournament, man, and we ran into those close games, kids understood they, they, it was tangible. I mean, you could feel it that they understood, Hey, we got to just play. And then if you lose, let the naysayers say what they say, but this is what we need to do. And, you know, you don't always win. And the, the frustration, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but in sport too often, what's disheartening is you look at the dynasties at the highest of levels and they all have cheated. And so we're not cheating to be a dynasty in sport. You either have to have an uneven playing field by just scheduling superior opponents or subpar opponents, or you're going to cheat. And, and that's not right, man. If you're playing the best competition, you're not going to win every time. And so if you are, if you're wanting to get a hit every time or have quality at bats all the time, you're not going to be facing the best pitching. You're going to set, if you had your choice, you're going to set up some crappy pitcher that you can control having a quality at bat. And I really believe that that can be argued. I don't have like all the data, but you look at the, you look at the, the, the dynasties over the years and I love John Wooden, and he probably is one of the best coaches of all time, but the uneven, uneven playing field times 100. You could, you could pay athletes at that time. They had the biggest sugar daddies. They got all of the top recruits because they paid the most money. That's the fact. Rod Dado, love him. Met him a few times. He was great for the game of baseball. USC could pay their players. It was an uneven playing field. They hosted every regional. And so it, it, it's just that's not fair. You know, that's not – saying if that's a dynasty well that's a bunch of garbage but um i think uh yeah so i think infusing kids that competition is really where it's at that's where it's at competition and so if you if i had to say if you know to to young coaches or assistant coaches that are looking to be head coaches what did we do systematically to help us get to where we get other than the fact we had really good players who bought in hitting leagues was a huge deal because you get kids playing in the summer and figuring things out in the summer. Um, in a, in a, it's not a camp environment. It's an environment to come out and it's systematically set up that there's a little bit of teaching. That's a spoonful of, of uh, medicine. Okay. And then they get a whole bunch of sugar. It's not a spoonful of sugar and then a whole bunch of medicine because they're not going to want that in the summer. They're going to pick something else. And you call it hitting leagues because every kid loves to hit. But you sprinkle in a little defense. You sprinkle in a little base running. You sprinkle in some bunting. But then you let them hack. And you give them a little bit of feedback. So over the years, just like I did from my brother in seventh grade and eighth grade and ninth grade, and you look at my batting average in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, I have no idea what it was, but I bet it was under 200. And, and batting average is evil. I get that. But if you're going to play college baseball and you're hitting 200 when you're 15 in a subpar Babe Ruth league and you're not playing on the all-star team, you're on the team, but you're not playing, college baseball is not looking real promising. But I trusted the process. I had great coaches, kept working, was too dumb to figure out that I was the fifth string first baseman. You know what I mean? Just all of those components. I didn't have a dad or mom who told me to go complain because I wasn't playing. They just said, keep working. You know, God's got a plan. But um, that those hitting leagues – it's about so much more. It's about giving, you know, we just I was talking to a kid who several years ago, he won the Clayton Kershaw 
autographed baseball. You know, we give away autographed baseballs. We give away cards. And Clayton Kershaw played in the Midwest League. So, you know, he texted me after Kershaw years ago won the Cy Young. He texted me again after they just won the World Series, you know. And he's on our team now. You know, he's in high school. He was in fourth grade or whatever when he won the baseball. Those are all parts of the hitting leagues. Um, it's not just learning how to hit. It's all the other stuff. It's the competition. It's winning the jersey. It's winning a ball. It's winning a Gatorade. It's competing in a stickball tournament. So that's systematically for the youth. And then it's continuing to just touch them as they grow, as they grow up and being consistent in how you act. That it's not just about baseball. It's about, it's about the whole picture, how you respond to adversity, how you act in the classroom, how you act in the hitting leagues and how good of a teammate you are in hitting leagues. And we structure the hitting leagues when they're playing stickball, they're the umpires. If anybody whines or complains, their game is shut down, their game ends for the day. And it's the worst punishment you can get as a kid, right? You're done. Your team is done for the day. Nobody gets eliminated from the tournament. You're just done for the day. It's a loss for both of you. So you're probably not going to make it to the World Series, you know? So there's little to no complaint. You know, we haven't had to do that probably in three or four years where we've sat a team down. Um, so it's just being consistent. It's not what you teach. It's what you emphasize. And uh, just trying to stay on top of that. And I'm not perfect in that. Um, every guy that's played here is not going to say, oh, yeah, everything they do is just the best. And Coach McGinnis is God. It's not that. But it's just trying to continually uh, instill what we want to emphasize. So those non-negotiables, I feel like you're dancing around them. If you had to, like, list them, if you had to, you know, itemize those non-negotiables in your program that you will not budge on, um, what are they? Um, Got to be a positive addition to anything you're part of. And now when these are non-negotiables, it doesn't mean if somebody's not one time, they get kicked off. It's just they're going to be confronted and dealt with. And if the AD, and in this case, now that I'm the AD, it's the principal. You know, they go to the principal if, they, if the parent has a problem. You got to be positive addition. You have to care about the program being the best it can be just as much as you care about you being the best you can be but it's got to be both. And then you have to communicate. Um, we, we have to be able to trust you. And so those things all kind of cover everything. You know, I mean, those three things, if, if we, those are non-negotiables. If you can't now, if you're shy, I get it, but you somehow have to find a way to communicate or you're not going to make it in this program. Um, and as you get, as I coach longer, it gets harder because you tend to be more patient and you tend to try to be more flexible because you realize these kids need it more than what we need them in a lot of cases. Um, and, and so, because again, if we lose, we lose, you know, I'm going to coach for a long time. These kids get one crack at it and you just, you really try to make them, you help them make it. Um, so, you know, it was easier as a young coach, you just say, boom, you're done. You know, you're not being a great teammate. You're done. And, uh, it's, but those are the three non-negotiables. You got to be a positive. I mean, I email teachers pretty frequently. You know, I'll just pick five kids, email their teachers this week, you know, next week do a different five. And, I, you know, their grades I can look up on the computer. Are they a positive addition to your class? And if they're not, we have issues. And it's a really easy conversation. Tim, are you a, being a, are you a positive addition? I just talked to your teachers. What do you think they said? First block, yes or no? Well, they probably, nope, not well. It's either a yes or a no. If it's well there, that's a no, you know. And so they start to catch on pretty quickly that there's no in-between on that. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's discipline, you know, and that's consistency and that's hard. And so, you know, that's one, the, this part right here, if, if you want this program to be the best it's going to be, and you want to be the best you can be, and those two are hand in hand, we will have no issues that last any significant amount of time. We'll still have issues just like 
my wife and I still have issues and we love each other to death. And I pray that we will for the next 50 years, but um, we still have issues at times. And that if we don't, then I start to worry too, because that's part of being human. Um, so that's gotta be, be hand in hand and, and uh, you know, just, just working and uh, communicating when, when you feel like something's not going right, because we can't read minds. And we're, we're as much as we try to talk to every player every day, it just can't happen all the time. And so you got to be able to let us know if you're wondering about something, if you have a question, if you don't think something seems right, you have to be able to speak up too. And we say communication is a two-way street in two ways. You got to be able to speak. You got to be able to listen. I got to be able to generate the conversation, but so do you. And so it can't just be you know, broken in with just communication. What is that? We define it, you know, that, that closely. Is there anything else in the program that you would say is unique to you guys? Um, you talk about champions playbook is probably a, a one to go to, but anything else that you could think of that's unique to Kimberly baseball? Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to say that because it sounds like then you think that you're the only team, you're smarter than everybody else or you do something way better. You know, I don't necessarily know about that. Um, I think, you know, I think our blue collar shirts set a tone for us that, that that's maybe a touch different. You know, we wear blue collar shirts twice a week. Um, and, you know, in 2017, when we won the state championship, we took those shirts away from those guys because they weren't doing things in a blue collar manner. And so, you know, they were away for probably two, maybe even three weeks. And, you know, I finally called and we have a unity council, you know, group of, of players. So, you know, that's not unique to us, but I think we do it pretty darn well. I think we, I think it makes us who we are because, you know, they create a core values and they own it and, and they learn and they grow and, and they find out who they are and, and start to figure out, you know, the humility of, of being a, a champion means you, you, you don't do everything perfect. Um, you know, you're not above reproach. Um, and, and I think they've figured out how to value each other better, but you know, that's another conversation. But after a couple of weeks, I called that group together at unity council and just said, man, what's the deal? And they're like, what? And this was a great group of guys that loved each other and were close off the field and had grown up together and had won a lot together in a lot of sports. And um, I just said, you know, you guys haven't even asked for your, your stuff back. And they were kind of, we thought you might tell us we didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to upset you type of thing. Or we don't, I'm thinking, well, you, you got to be bigger than that, man. You got to come and ask, like, what do we need to do to get these back? This isn't a game. This is just the reality. We can, and so that, that helped us a lot. And so to talk through that and work through that. And, and that's what I mean by like the standards can't be lessened. You know, if that, if our season goes South after I take those back, then I'm the worst coach in the history of the game. Right. And I ruin the senior season and I'm a, a, a Scrooge and, you know, I'm too harsh and I, I'm, I'm trying to threaten kids with stuff. And it's not that it's just, this is a bunch of garbage. We're saying we're blue collar and we're not. We're setting a tarp on after the field crappy. We're raking the field halfway. We're not putting rakes back. You know, the, it, it, it didn't have anything to do with what we're doing on the field. It had everything to do with what we're doing after or before the game. And so um, our guys trust, you know, that's where you got to build trust. They trusted me and the coaching staff enough to know that we weren't just doing it to play games, but they also didn't have enough, you know, courage maybe or enough trust to come and ask us when they're going to get them back. And they needed to learn that. And hopefully that serves them well when they're on a job sometime and, you know, they didn't get the promotion and they want to go find out why. 
Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm just thinking about the resume, right? All the trips to the state tournament, the state titles, you, you know, 07 up to 17 and, and so many in between the trips. Uh, what lessons have you learned from winning a state championship, from losing a state championship? Like, is there something you learned in those first years that you'll take with you every time you go to Appleton? Hopefully you get there again. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we do. And we'll, we'll work to do that. But, um, you know, I think it's certainly something you learn is that you don't ever take that for granted. It is really hard to get there. Um, it's not the ultimate destination. Um, I would have been able to sleep like a baby if we never got to Appleton. I, I believe that. And maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm overselling myself on that. But that's how much I'm just so focused on just it's just the day the next day I mean like right we had a team meeting today and all I'm worried about is the next you know I'm just worried about the next couple days you know with with talking to a few guys and following up and seeing the weight room and that really is is you know never take it for granted it's 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 always a different journey um and it's all about your preparation and, and you can't you know, I can't overstate that enough. And I think that's where I think your players see if it's not what you teach, it's what you're emphasizing. I think one thing you'd get from my players, you know, and, and again, I think we get a litmus test when we talk to former players. So if you talk to hundred former players, you're going to have a pretty good idea of, and I, and I have several flaws, you know, quite a few. So you'll hear those and you'll hear the good stuff. I think one of the, hopefully, hopefully there are a few consistencies that are positives. I feel pretty confident one of them would be, he's the same whether we're playing at Fox City Stadium or we're scrimmaging in the parking lot. Um, because to me, it's about being together and it's about competing that day. And as a teacher, I was the same way. Every day's test day. Every day is a test day for me. You have to be in this class. That's not my view. I want you to be in this class. If you have to choose an English class to come to or any class for that matter, I want it to be right here. So I'm not going to be sitting here juggling balls with a clown nose on, but I'm going to put every ounce that I have into making this a class that when you leave, the time went fast and you're excited to get here tomorrow. And that's my goal every day, knowing I'm going to fall short of that as an English teacher. That's my job as a coach. So every day's test day for me. You guys should be evaluating me every day. And I'm evaluating you every day. So you don't need to prepare. If you need to prepare special when it's test day, a game day or a, a Julius Caesar test, if we're testing on Romeo or Macbeth or whatever we're testing on, if then, then I'm not doing my job or you're not doing yours. But it's one or the other. And we need to figure out whose it is. And if it's mine, then you need, should probably go to the principal and say we need a new English teacher. And if you need to start to do things differently on game day, we're not preparing you well enough or you're not invested enough to get yourself ready. And what we need to figure out whose problem that is, because at the end of the day, it's all of our problems. If you're failing the English test, I feel 51% of that for sure. You know, and if we're, if we're, if you're not prepared in a game, I feel 51% of that. And so that's the stuff that your kids see. And I think my players would say to a person, he doesn't prepare any different when we're at Fox City because I don't. And I think if they said that, I could honestly look at you and say that that has to be a lie because I am pretty, pretty regimented in what we do and, and in the intensity and the energy that I bring, whether we're playing in a state tournament or not. So now what's, you know, if you could go tell your, your previous self, give yourself 
some advice your younger self would give? Um, be more patient. Communicate better. So let me let me just pause on on patience. What are you impatient about when you were younger, and what are you still impatient about as a coach? The chase to be great. Um, you just you have to be on it every second. Um, and so again, that's probably one of the flaws of not being a great athlete. Is as I was. I was on it all the time, man. And I, I wanted to, you know, I would have rather gone to practice than eat. And, uh, and I needed to eat cause I always need to put weight on, you know, but, um, I think, I think knowing different players, I've gotten better at it over the years, but it'll probably be always be a little bit of a shortcoming is you just have to make sure you touch base with players on, on who they are, what makes them tick. Um, it's just hard for me to, to understand not preparing every day to be the best you can be. Um, and so there's that fine line. You got to ease off on guys once in a while, you know, it's a long season and you can't, you can't be, you know, you can't be full go all the time. And so I've gotten better at that. I mean, as a, for sure, as a coach, like to the whole team, for sure. Um, and I have several examples. I won't bore you with those today, but, you know, where I did our team a, a disservice in, in how I practiced at a certain point of the year and, you know, and then we didn't perform so well. And it's 100% on me, you know, without question. And, and I'll never forget some of those games where I just didn't, you know, it, you know, never. I'll never forget them. And I've learned from them. Um, so patience, you know, and patience with, with kids just growing up. Um, I just don't have a whole lot of tolerance for meanness. Um, you know, when, when one of our players and now as an AD and as a student athlete, if they're mean to somebody, um, you know, or if they call somebody a name, um, I just don't have, I don't have a lot of patience for that. And, but how you go about it is critical because what I've gotten better at is asking them why, like what's eating at them. And that takes a while to get to that. Cause they never admit it right away. It's nothing. It didn't mean anything. I just, I just said it, you know, but so just some of those kinds of things, I think, um, you know, I, I also think being more efficient um, with practices, you know, there's a fine line there because we take care of the field and, and just sometimes just saying, you know what, I'm stubborn, but though we haven't gotten it, you know, the old, the old uh, quote, I'll practice four hours if it takes us that long to do the hour and a half I had planned. I mean, you know, you can't always go that route, but uh, I, I certainly, you know, did that more than in my fair share of times. Uh, so I've gotten a little smarter with that. Um, we could go on and on, I suppose, but those are the short, okay. quick answers. Is there anything on the baseball side that you've learned recently that's made you rethink how you teach something, or maybe you've just realized you've been flat out wrong and you, you've now completely done a 180 in how you teach a certain skill or is it, is it game planning or game management or skill development? Um, yeah, I think a little bit of everything. You know, I think there's quite a few things that, that I did. You know, I don't know if I'd say wrong. I, I think we just know more now, you know. So, um, I mean, just, you know, hitting's the most obvious one is, you know, there's certain components and certain drills that we did that were definitely wrong. You know, there's a drill years ago that was called the Vanderbilt drill that I got from a, a coach um, in the area. And I liked it at first, but it promoted 
that as your hips turned, your hands came forward, which is not what happens. You know, as your hips turn, your hands got to stay back and you get that torque. Um, so, you know, that was, that was a disservice to our players for sure for about three years. Um, and, and, you know, you feel guilty about that forever, just like you feel guilty about. But I feel guilty only in the sense of, gosh, I wish I knew that quicker. Not, it was for lack of effort. And that's what we try to tell them. What's that? And you're trying to get better. Like you make the best decisions you can with the information you have. And over time, you might get better information, right? Dang right. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, those are things that I, I you know, but it's still hard. It's hard to know that you, you didn't have that info and you wanted it sooner. You know, just, just like I'm sure doctors, when they find out different treatments, realize, geez, I've been treating those patients the kind of the wrong way. I mean, they used to give marathon runners rat poisoning, you know, for, for uh, kind of recovery and, and to, to hydrate them. I mean, how opposite is that? So um, that's why, again, that's where I think that dialogue with players is really healthy because I'm very transparent with our players on that. And, and I think it breeds the idea of as long as we're trying to work hard and also trying to work intentional, not just work hard and be dumb, work hard and, and be intentional in how we're preparing we got nothing to to cry about if we get beat that's part of the game that's part of competition it's part of having a great schedule and and if we win let's play again because that happened already and it's over now what's next that's the other part i think you know is when you go back to you know i think now i i hopefully celebrate that a little more with our guys you know there's a fine line there um, but I, I really, I'm also wired of just that game's over, you know, and that's the, that's the street ball mentality that I like, you know, as a kid growing up and you, you play in the street and whatever game it is, basketball or football or, or baseball, the game is over. Somebody wins, you feel great about it, but then let's play again. And the only time that it stunk was when it was over for the day. And then you're just hoping like, heck, everyone wanted to play tomorrow to get that same competitive environment. And so, um, I don't ever want to give that up, but you got to take some time to let kids, you know, and like, like we talked to, you know, just do certain things to celebrate that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Is there a, is there something you're on right now? Is there a skill you're really been diving deep into that you're really, I don't know, is there I don't know, anything new in the game that you're really on right now? Yeah. You know, where I feel like I'm really behind is just some of the, um, just some of the, the latest measurements and metric, um, things that have to do with, you know, spin rate for a pitcher. And now how much of that is useful to us in, in high school? I don't know, but I want to find that out and make that decision myself and not just chalk it up to that's just big dollar stuff. Right. Um, you know, force plates as a hitter, I would love to have some force plates for our hitters to be able to uh, understand what force they're creating into the ground. Um, so some of those hitting, um, you know, the old school versus new school, you know, I'm reading Bleeker's book right now, um, you know, and I, I, it's really compelling. So there's a ton that that we need to uncover, and, and I feel like we're, you know, a little bit behind on that I want to catch up on. You know, what what are some of the best metric things? Do you use a blast? Do you use Rapsodo? You know, how do you, how, you know, how can we get some force plates for our hitters? What types of drills promote that type of feel? Um feedback that our players need um, and what type of metrics can give them the 
the direction instead of us just telling them what to do, having them help them figure it out. So just those kinds, those are, that's a pretty broad answer, but um, that just, that, that's kind of where I'm at in my thinking is reading Bleeker's book and, and, you know, talking to Trevor Burmeister and Darren Everson and, um, you know, some of those guys about what's the, you know, what are some of the latest things and how do we pair, you know, cause whenever you hear that from pro guys, you have to pare it down and say what's practical and useful for the time we have them and the resources we have and the ability set that they have and the skill set they have. And that's kind of a good segue to my, maybe my last question is, it's just like you as a learner, you've talked about, you know, VHSs or, you know, Oral Hershiser charting pitches as a kid and, you know, reading books and podcasts and like, how do you, how are you wired as a learner? Do you like to call coaches? Do you like to, you know, read, listen, you know, how, how do you learn best? Yeah, all of the above. Um, I read a ton. I'm not bashful at all. Um, I, I, but I also respect people's time. So I understand if they say no, but part of the reason I collect autographs ever since I was a young kid, the autograph really doesn't mean a ton to me. It's the conversation that I can have with a guy, um, you know, and, and so, you know, talking to Houston street or Clayton Kershaw or, you know, Carlos Correa or, you know, Cole Stewart or any of these guys that are out, you know, that are, and not just the first round picks, but, um, you know, uh, what, what was their program you know, Houston street? What was the weightlifting program at Texas? You know, we talked for 20 minutes about that. Um, you know, I, I, uh, yeah. So I love to read. I listen to podcasts. I love talking to other coaches, you know, you and, and several other coaches and I, the, the zooms we had during the pandemic we were just awesome. And, and hearing what, what Stouty does or Feather or, or um, you know, Scotty Holler or any of those guys, you know, talking to, to Rob Hamilton at Sun Prairie and, and seeing what they do. And, and baseball is a great game that way where we're not a bunch of secrets that we're not going to, you know, show our hand. Um, you know, when I moved back, uh, I had mentioned Bob Shaw was a pitching coach, pitched in the big leagues, and, and uh, he, he was a pitching coach in the big leagues and wrote one of the first books on pitching. Um, and so I was trying to find the book. So Dusty Rhodes, who coached at North Florida, I was going to go and play there. I ended up going to St. Xavier. We played against North Florida for four years, and then I coached against them. And I would go to the field. We would play when I was coaching. We'd play at their field, but we wouldn't play until the night. So I'd go in the day and just sit and talk to him all day. And, um, and I learned a ton that way, and I took tons of notes. And Bob Shaw was a guy that he had learned from. And because Bob Shaw, after he got out of pro baseball or major league baseball, went and he coached um, Legion baseball in Florida and won a national championship. And um, I think he coached Kevin O'Sullivan, you know, who's now the head coach at Florida. And, and he coached some prominent guys, but he was way ahead of his time. And so uh, Dusty and I had talked about Bob Shaw and Dusty was his right hand man for a number of years. So I got a ton of info from Dusty. Well, I moved back into was back to Wisconsin. And my wife is going to a, a physical therapy conference on a weekend. And, and so I go with her. We go to a Brewer game. I see in the newspaper that Bob Shaw and Warren Spahn are going to be signing autographs at this baseball card show. I'm like, this is beautiful. I'm there. So I drop her off at her conference. I go to this hotel and it's like eight in the morning. This card show starts at 11. About nine o'clock, Bob Shaw walks in. So I go over to him and introduce myself to him. I said, hey, I, I just, just, Wondered if you had like 30 seconds for just one question. Um, and he's like, 30 seconds? I got like two hours. And we sat for two hours and talked pitching. And I had not found his book. So in the midst of this conversation, I said, I'm a, I'm a memorabilia collector. 
I've looked for your book for the past five years. I can't find it. He said, what's your address? Gave it to me. This is on a Sunday now. We talked two hours of pitching. I still have the napkins with, or not the napkins, the, um, the uh, hotel stationery with the notes on it. And, and I probably have 15 of those are small pages. You know, I probably have 15 of those pages of notes. And I get home um, and I'm just jacked. And so I transcribe all the notes and get them cleaned up. On Tuesday, the book arrives from them in the mail. And uh, that's still one of the best pitching books. So, so I'm not bashful. I love those types of conversations. I, have, I always keep a, a list of questions that I want to ask coaches. Um, I think it's awesome, the podcast you're doing, because I think we can learn. I think you have some great questions. And, um, you know, hopefully coaches that are listening to this, I don't know if hopefully they can take something away from this. But, um, you know, hopefully it's not too, uh, too boring for them. But I think you have some great questions, and, and I think this is awesome. Last thing I got, thank you, by the way. I appreciate that. Cause uh, I think, you know, question asking and, you know, as I'm a podcaster as well. And I try to piggyback certain questions and I grab it from, you know, Jonathan Gellner's podcast or sheets or someone. I just, I'll put that in the tank and I want to ask certain people, certain questions. Right. Um, my question, my last one for you is if you had to recommend a book to someone or a podcast to someone, now this could be situational too, because I've been asked that question. And I said, well, what are you looking for? You know, like, Depends on what type of guy it is. You know, it's a, if it's a coach that I know already that I think, uh, maybe here's Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman. You know, maybe it's whatever. I, I try to systematically give people certain books because I feel like I've collected a library and I'm an audiobook guy, you know, when, when I'm working out or cut the grass or whatever. But if you had to recommend a book or, or a podcast to someone, what would it be? Yeah, I would say situational as well. Um, but if we're talking, I mean, this podcast is going to be predominantly for baseball coaches, I would imagine, right? They're listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Heads Up Baseball 1 and 2, um, that would be on the short list for sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, if it's a coach that's looking for um, something they can use with their players, like immediately – I would say the Jeff Jansen leadership books, um, those are phenomenal because I think it, it, it does, it, it gets a lot of the, the thinking out of where kind of to start to get your players to open up and start talking. So he's got a bunch of evaluations in there that players do that allow them to start to unpack what they're thinking, what's in their head, and then those follow-up conversations are so much easier and he just simplifies it. Um, so I would say the Jeff Jansen leadership series. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the ABCA podcast, the stick and ball TV podcasts are great because you kind of pick your topic. Um, sports spectrum, Jason Romano has a sports spectrum podcast. I like those are faith-based kind of where sports connect with, with life. Uh, so there's some really good messages in there and you just get to hear from different people in here. I love people's stories. You know, again, that's the part that I love. I love that's again, why do I love collecting memorabilia? Because I love to know where guys are from and, and what, you know, even though we can't ever find out, you know, everything, I don't want to know everything about somebody, but just generally speaking, what's their story and in collecting memorabilia, that's what, that's what drives me in coaching. That's what drives me. I want to know our player stories. I want them to, to know. So, you know, again, I think this is not unique to us either, but I think what we do well in our program is we present. Um, to our teammates 
what matters to us? You know, that perspective poster concept that Brian Kane kind of came up with and we, we sort of have a different spin to it, but essentially it's just saying, here's who I am. Here's my story. And, you know, we have a motto in our program like Lombardi had on his, on their locker room wall, what you say here, what you see here, let it stay here when you leave here. And what I say to them is that is not about hazing. If there's hazing in this program, you're done. And, and there's no questions asked on that one. Uh, this is about everyone loving on each other and taking care of one another, regardless of your class, tw class of 2021 or class of 2024, regardless of your race, regardless of what kind of clothes you wear, regardless of what position you, you are on, regardless of what your parents do for a job. This is about caring and loving on one another and encouraging one another, being a Hunter Pence type of teammate and being as excited for somebody else as you are for yourself or even more sometimes. And so those are the excitement things that you can't, you can't quantify all of that when somebody comes up. I mean, we had a contact day this, this year and we ended it and it was a competition and we had a freshman second baseman throw a ball away to, to kind of lose the game for the team. And my, you know, Cal was playing shortstop and, and I'm standing over kind of out of the way and they're coaching themselves, even though it was a contact day, we're not really even coaching them. They're they're And, and I, you know, I, I was just like, what, what are our guys going to do? And Cal, you know, went over to him, didn't make a big deal of it, game five and said something to him. And, and all of a sudden that kid's walking a little differently, you know, as opposed to hanging his head. And that's, those are the moments that's like, this is where it's at. Whether you win or lose that game, how did we respond? Uh, with humility if we won and hopefully with grace if we didn't. Um, and then look in the mirror and quit blaming other people and say, you can always do something different when you lose to, to allow yourself to win. And so, um, you know, those are, those are things that I think, you know, as you're reading, if, if your coaches, there's a lot of like non-baseball stuff that, that I would recommend, you know, atomic habits, um, great, great fathers, strong, strong fathers, strong daughters. Um, you know, that's a great one. It's, it's a kind of a, um, a devotional one. So again, it's a, it's a faith-based one. So if you're not into that, you wouldn't enjoy it, but it's great one for dads who have daughters. Um, on what it means to be a great dad. It doesn't mean being perfect, but it means being solid and, and doing, doing things the right way. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, I, let's put a bow on it right there, coach. I just looked at the time really, I can't thank you. I can't thank you enough for, for, for jumping on today. And I really do appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. Thanks again, Tim. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Coach McGinnis for taking time to sit down with us today. And I want to thank you, the listener, for carving out time to listen to these episodes. And I hope you get as much out of them as I am. When I think about all the fantastic knowledge that's shared in these episodes and see what you can implement in your program. Hope you join us for the next episode as we reach down to the bullpen and make a call for our closer. And until then, have a great rest of your day.